So like you said, my name is Stephen Summit. I have the privilege of working for a ministry called First Priority, and I have one of the coolest jobs ever. What I get to do is I get to connect students from all over the city, students just like you and churches just like this, connect them and put them together in a club on their school campuses to train and equip them to share the gospel. And so it's a really cool job. I'm excited to do that. But a little bit about me before I get started telling you too much about First Priority. Uh, as I grew up in church, in fact, my parents are pastors, um, and there's some good and bad things about being a, a pastor's kid. I don't know if we have any pastor's kids in the house, or you, maybe you grew up in church, but some of the good things about being a pastor's kid is this. One, you kind of have access to the building, not really anywhere I couldn't go. When I was in high school, I had a band, a uh, punk emo band. We called ourselves Feeling Forgotten. That's pretty emo. Um, so we were feeling forgotten, but I, I was able to use the building. I play the drums. So I was able to use the building to uh, host band practice, and it was a great time. But then there are other things about being a pastor's kid that aren't always so cool. Um, things like the expectations that sometimes people will put on you, that you're a good kid, that you got it all figured out, uh, or even that you're, you're sharing the gospel with everybody. Because the truth is, when I think back on my middle school and high school years, I wasn't really sharing the gospel with hardly anybody. In fact, there was really only one person that I can remember sharing the gospel with. See, it was my junior year of high school, and we had just started dating. I got a picture of her right here. She'll be coming up. Uh, this is Alexa. Her and I were uh, dating. This is 2003 prom. And uh, we got to that point in the relationship where it was time to introduce them to the parents. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you got to bring them over, introduce them to mom and dad. And Alexa was not a church kid. She didn't know Jesus at the time. And so I bring her over to my parents, who are church people. And my mom, the very first time she meets her, she shakes her hand. She pulls her in real tight, gives her a nice big hug. And I kid you not, she whispered, we've been praying for you. And I was just like, I was shook. I was like, mom, are you kidding me? Seriously? I thought the relationship was over. I might as well just take her home. But by the grace of God, she stuck around. Um, and I knew that if, if this girl was going to be in my life, then she needed to know Jesus because Jesus was a part of my life. And so one night, very awkwardly, probably very clumsily, I shared the gospel with her and she gave her life to the Lord there uh, in her parents' living room while we were in high school. And we would go on to date in college uh, and we would get married right after college and we've been married now for 15 years. We got two beautiful middle schoolers going into seventh and eighth grade over in the Liberty School District. And I share that with you tonight because while I only shared the gospel with her, I wonder what would have happened if I had had a, a group of friends at school that was encouraging me to be a better witness for Jesus? Like what kind of an impact could I have had on my school campus if I spoke about Jesus like the, like the Bible tells us to? And so that's what I'm here tonight to, to talk about. Because when I think about why I wasn't sharing the gospel, the reason I wasn't sharing the gospel is very similar probably to, to many Christians who aren't sharing the gospel. And that's because I was afraid. And maybe you're here tonight and you can relate to that. You've been coming to church for a little bit and you know you're supposed to be talking about Jesus and sharing the gospel and sharing your faith, but you're afraid. Afraid to say something wrong. Maybe you're afraid of rejection. Who knows, right? 
And so we want to give you some tools and some handles for how to go into this school year to be more confident to share your faith and share the gospel. And so I've titled this message. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to, to get out your notes. I believe that note takers are world changers. And so if you're, if you're taking notes tonight, I've titled this message, How to Be a Powerful Witness. How to Be a Powerful Witness. And I would argue, and I'll use scripture to back this up, that we will need a couple things in order to be a powerful witness. We're going to need boldness. We're going to need faith. We're going to need perseverance. And then, y'all, we're going to need a plan. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And the good news is that all of these scripture references are going to come from the book of Acts. And so if you're here and you're new to the bridge or you're new to the Bible, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. We love you. I'm glad you're here. The book of Acts can be found in what we call the New Testament. That's the back one-third of your Bible. I think it starts on page 655 in the Bibles that you got. You'll find it right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts. If you hit Romans or anything with a number, you've gone too far. Back it up. So in Acts, let me just set the scene for you. We've got Jesus who's given his last bit of instructions to his disciples. You see, the Gospels record for us Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, but then they kind of like stop. And so like, what happens after that? Well, that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's a historical account of how we got here today. It's the history of the church. And so we'll find in the book of Acts that Jesus is about to give some last bit of instructions to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven. And so we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'll give you a second to turn there while you're turning there. This is, the, this is one of the iconic verses when it comes to evangelism and missions. And it says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You shall be witnesses to me. Well, what's a witness? we got to define terms, right? A witness is somebody who sees an event take place, and then they tell other people about it, right? That's a witness. And so what does it mean to be a powerful witness to Jesus? We're going to see Jesus do some things in our life, and we're going to tell others about it. And so the first story that we're going to look at is, is a guy named Peter. And so if you know anything about the Bible, you, you maybe have heard that term before, or heard that name before, rather. But we're going to flip a, a page or two, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 4 and pick it up with Peter. So Jesus gave him that instruction that, hey, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And that's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes, and now these guys have all kinds of supernatural power to do all kinds of amazing things. The book of Acts is my favorite book of the whole Bible. It's got mystery. It's got excitement. It's got adventure. It's got some comedy. It's a great book. By the time we get to Acts chapter 4, Peter's been preaching, and he's kind of on trial here. And you've got the religious elite who are basically questioning him and trying to figure out why he's doing what he's doing. And it says this in Acts 4.13. Now when they, that's those synagogue leaders, the religious elite, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. So side note, two questions. First, have you been with Jesus? If you're in here tonight and you've not put your faith in Christ, that's your first step, is to be with Jesus, spend some time with Jesus. And if you're in here tonight and you already know Jesus, and you're a Christ follower, you're a Christian, then my question to you is, can the world see that you've been with Jesus? When they look at your life, 
Does it look any different than the world? The music you're listening to, the way you talk, the movies you watch, can the world see that you've been with Jesus? Just a side note. If we read down in, in, in chapter 4 to verse 31, we see that same word come up again, and it says this in 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Boldness. So point number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. A witness shows up with boldness. Boldness, what I mean by that is a willingness to take risk. You might also see the word courage, right? In order to be a powerful witness, you're going to need some boldness. And so Peter, he's boldly showing up and he's preaching the gospel. But again, if you know anything about Peter, you know he wasn't always like that, was he? At the end of the gospels, we see that right before Jesus is about to be crucified, Peter is actually there watching and the crowd starts to get kind of violent and they start to recognize Peter as one of Jesus' disciples. And some people recognize him and say, hey, weren't you with him? Weren't you one of his? And y'all, he just, he denied him. Like he was, he was ashamed. And he said, I didn't know him. I didn't know him. I didn't know him. That doesn't sound very bold to me. But yet here we are in Acts chapter 4, and now it's saying that he was filled with boldness. And so when that Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2, it changed something in Peter. And now he's proclaiming Christ with boldness. And it says that he began to preach, began to preach the good news, began to preach the gospel, and thousands began to become saved. And thousands began to give their life to Jesus. And the religious elite, they didn't like that, did not like that at all. But despite that, he continued to show up and preach Jesus. You know, when I think of boldness, um, I think of some of our Kansas City Chiefs fans. I don't know if you guys like football or not. I uh, actually don't really care about it, to be honest. Uh, but what I do enjoy watching uh, is the game. But when I, what I like more than that even is, is watching some of the fans. You ever just watch how the camera fans, like, goes to the, to the fans in the stands and just like, what are they doing? What are they wearing? Right? You might describe them as like a super fan. Right, we got a picture of a super fan. What I mean by that is somebody like this that's got the, the headdress on, the face paint, the jersey, they're all decked out. That's pretty bold, if you ask me, right? But then there are other Chiefs fans, which is probably what I would say I am, which is more of like a closet Chiefs fan. Like, what I mean by that is I, I like the Chiefs, sure. I'm not one out there like talking about them though. You wouldn't find me wearing something like that, right? And what I, what I find interesting about this picture in particular is look at where he's at. I don't know if you can see from where you're at, but he's actually not at Arrowhead. He's at, I think, it's, is it Gillette Stadium? Is that where the Patriots play? That's where he's at. So he's in enemy territory being bold, repping his chief's colors, y'all. That's boldness. And I think when it comes to our faith, sometimes we could say that it's easy to be on Team Jesus when we're here at the bridge. It's easy to be a team Jesus on a Sunday morning and, and like be a super fan for Jesus. But then the rest of the week, are we more like closet Christians where we're on team Jesus, but nobody knows about it. We don't like talking about it. And so what type of Christian are you? So we need boldness. Again, if we continue to move forward in the, in the book of Acts, uh, we come to another individual See, the church began to explode, and Peter, he's, he's preaching boldly, and people are getting saved, and it's a, it's a great time, right, in terms of the church growth. 
They can't, they can't do all the work, right? These disciples, they're like, we need some help. We need some help. And so they, they, they reach out for seven men of biblical character, of godly character to help them do this. And one of them that they find is a guy named Stephen. And so we pick up in Acts chapter 6, and we hear about, about Stephen. Acts 6, 5, it says this, And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So point number two, if you're taking notes in here, and we got four points. Point number two is a witness shows up with faith. Faith. By faith, we mean complete trust and confidence on God. And so Stephen was that guy. He had faith. He believed that God was in control of all things. And what I love about Stephen is not just the way his name is spelled, because that's the correct way you spell Stephen. That's how I spell my name is with a PH. That's how you do that. Um, but that don't even like, like, that's not the only thing I like about him. What I love about him is that he's just a regular dude. He's just a regular guy. He wasn't typically the guy that was in front of people. He wasn't the guy on the stage. He's more like your, your guy that's stacking chairs, kind of the unsung hero of the church, as it were, kind of like our production team. Like most people don't know that they're back there, but without them, none of this happens, right? That was Stephen. He was faithful, and he was full of faith. But Stephen gets his shot, and he actually gets an opportunity to begin to preach, and we see that in the very next chapter. And Stephen preaches, and just like Peter, the crowd at the time, super offended by it, didn't like it at all, got super angry. So angry, in fact, that they grabbed Stephen, they threw him out of the church, and they began to throw rocks at him. And they began to stone him. They stoned him to death. And Stephen then would become forever immortalized as the first Christian martyr, meaning he's the first guy to die because of his faith for Jesus. It's powerful. But all the while, he had faith. The Bible says he was a man full of faith. And so for me and for us with First Priority, that's where we have to find ourselves. Last year, we launched First Priority in Kansas City. Nobody had ever heard of it before. Uh, and so we were trusting God to do what only God can do. And we had to have faith in God to bring us the student leaders to launch these clubs in their public schools, to bring us the adult volunteers to help them do that, to bring the faculty sponsors. It was entirely dependent on the Lord to do what only he could do. And can I tell you that, that by the grace of God, we were able to launch eight clubs last year in Kansas City. And in those eight clubs, this is, this is what blows my mind. In those eight clubs, in the matter of months that we had those clubs up and running, 26 students made decisions to follow Jesus because of their first priority clubs at a public school. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Hype that up. 26 life changes. Praise Jesus, right? Absolutely. It's incredible. And it's because people had faith, because God moved in such a mighty way. And so what do you put in your faith in tonight? If you're in here again and, and you don't know Jesus, what do you put your faith in? Hopefully tonight maybe could be the night that you change that. So we need boldness. We need faith. In our third example, we see a guy named Paul. Now, Paul wasn't always known as Paul. In fact, his name used to become Saul, which is kind of confusing. Um, but Saul was the premier persecutor of Christians. Like, this dude was no joke. 
He was the one hunting Christians, murdering Christians, torturing and hunting them down. Not a good dude at the time. And on his way to go find some more Christians, Jesus intersects his path. And quite literally, the Bible says, you can read about it in Acts chapter 9, knocks him off his horse, makes him go blind for a season. And he says, Paul, why are, you, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? And Paul has a radical encounter with Jesus and becomes a powerful witness who showed up time after time. He would go from pulling people away from Christ to pointing people to Christ. And, and Paul would become quite literally one of the greatest Christians of all time, one of the goats when it comes to men of faith. Um, and we see that, that Paul, once he has this conversion and he has this radical encounter with Jesus, he goes back to Jerusalem to try to meet with the disciples. And you can imagine how that goes, right? We read about it here in Acts chapter 9. So turn your pages with me one or two more times. Let's go to Acts chapter 9, verse 26. It says this, and when Saul, again, that's Paul, same guy, had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. And I think we can relate, can relate to that, right? Maybe we've had some friends in our life that were one way, then something happened to them and they tried to say that they were another way. Like, we're kind of skeptical just in our human nature. Like, I don't know, bro. Like, stop the cap. I don't know. Don't know if I can trust that. But Paul wasn't alone. If we keep reading, we see there was this guy named Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. You see, Barnabas was a witness too. He saw what Paul was doing. He saw the radical life change. He saw that he had been with Jesus. And he said, he's different. He's different. Verse 28. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. And from that moment on, Paul would go on to start churches and evangelize and share his faith with whoever would ask. But despite all of that, throughout all of that, he would endure many hardships as well. And he would record a list of them in 2 Corinthians 11. You can look it up later on your own. But in 11.24, he talks about how he was whipped five times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned nearly to death once. He was shipwrecked three times. The brother got bit by a poisonous snake and just shook it off in the fire. No big deal. I'm telling you, he was built different. He endured many, many hardships for the sake of the gospel. And so point number three is this, a witness shows up with perseverance. Turn to your neighbor and say, a witness shows up. You can, okay, okay. Turn to your other choice and say, with perseverance. Very good. A witness shows up with perseverance. By perseverance, we mean this, a persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. And that's exactly what we see Paul doing. He was persisting. He was out there grinding, sharing the gospel, despite all the trials and all the things that were hindering him. And so he would endure many hardships throughout his ministry, and consistently, time after time, he showed up. 
And so being a Christian is no guarantee to an easy life. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're guaranteed to have some trouble, to have some trials, to have some tribulations. You know, they say you're either in a trial, coming out of one, or about to go into one, right? Being a Christian is not easy, but it's worth it. And so these guys, Peter, who showed up with boldness, Stephen, who showed up with faith, Paul, who was persevering, what they have in common is that they all showed up for the one who showed up, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate witness who showed up. Revelation 1.5 would describe him as the faithful witness who loved us and washed us, from, washed us from our sins in his own blood. So maybe you're in here tonight and you're like, man, why, why is it such a big deal? Why should we show up for Jesus? Like, why does it matter? And I'll tell you, it's because he's worth it, because he's worthy, because he's the creator of the universe and he created you and you and you and he created me and he loves us. More than all of that, he showed up for us. God wrote himself into the story of humanity by putting on flesh to live the perfect life and to die the death that you and I deserved. He showed up quite literally for us. And so we show up for him because he's worth it. And what I love is in John chapter 15, or 17, rather, we see that play out. I don't know if you've ever read this or caught this. The first time I, I kind of understood what, what I had just read, like it took me back. And I had to just sit in silence and think on that for a moment. And so check this out. In John 17, verse 20, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's right before he's about to be crucified. And he's praying with his disciples. And it says this in verse 20. He says, I do not pray for these alone. So Jesus is praying to God. And he says, I'm not just praying for my disciples. I'm not just praying for my boys. Who else is he praying for? Well, check this out. It'll blow your mind but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Don't miss that. Jesus Christ, as he was about to go to the cross, he was literally praying, if you are a believer in Jesus, for you, for me. Read it again. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. That's us. Jesus had you on his mind before he went to the cross. And so what kind of a witness are you for him? Or better yet, if every Christian was a witness like you are, what would the church look like? If every Christian was as bold as you are, what would the church look like? If they were as faithful as you are, what would the church look like? If every Christian persevered the way you do, what would the church look like today? You see, Acts 1.8 said that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Where? To the end of the earth. And we are here tonight as proof that they did that. Like we are on the other side of the planet some 2,000 years after the fact still talking about Jesus. They showed up. They did it with boldness, with faith, with perseverance. But here's the reality. 
we're not even the ends of the earth because there are quite literally hundreds of thousands of people who still don't know Jesus, who still haven't heard the gospel, many of them students just like you all. And so what are we going to do about that? And so that brings us to our fourth and final point. A witness shows up with a plan. A witness shows up with a plan. I've got a picture. This is, once it comes up, this is Lee Summit High School's first priority club. And y'all, this club almost didn't get started. You see, last year, about this same time, we began to pray for schools in the area, primarily in the Lee Summit area. And Lee Summit High School was one of those schools that we were praying for, that we would get a club started, that we could begin to take the gospel into hard-to-reach places. And we had a faculty sponsored uh, lined up in August, and we're like, great, this thing's going to happen. Super excited. Let's go. September, October, no students. November, December, the whole semester, nothing. All right, God, still praying. God, send us some students. Send us some leaders that are willing to step out in faith and do something for you. January, no students. February, still nothing. March, spring break, still nothing. Like I'm starting to lose hope at this point. Like this club is never going to get started, at least not this year. All right, I'd almost written it off. But then our faculty sponsor who we had had back in August, she messages me. And she's like, hey, I think I got a couple kids that, that may be interested in this. Y'all, we're getting into April, which is like the end of the school year. She said, do you want to meet with them? And I said, absolutely, yeah. So I go and I meet with this team. There's like six kids. Share with them the mission and vision of what we do and what we could potentially do in their school. And they're like, yes, we want to do that. And those six kids then go through the process to get the club started to get it approved by administration. And then they launch. Second week of April. For context, that means there was six weeks left in the school year. Several of them were seniors and they were gonna be done in three or four weeks. Didn't matter. They wanted to do this. They had caught the vision and they wanted to start their first priority club. And in a matter of weeks, it grew from six to what you see pictured here. A classroom full of kids many of them who did not go to church, hearing the gospel being preached on a public school campus, y'all. That's what we do, that's what we wanna do. And so first priority, our mission is to take the hope of Christ to every student. And we're gonna do that through our vision of uniting the local church, churches just like Discover and others in the Northland area, uniting students from various youth groups all over the city on their school campus so that they can be bold to share Christ with their, with their peers. You see, first priority is, is a plan, is a strategy that's gonna get you like EA Sports in the game. And we're gonna get you in the game to take, some of you got that. We're gonna get you in the game to take the hope of Christ, to take the gospel to these hard to reach places, to the ends of the earth, hopefully. And we've gotta be strategic. We've gotta have a plan. You know why? Because our enemy does. Our enemy, the devil, he's strategic. He would love nothing more than to discourage you, to distract you, and ultimately to destroy you. Because what you represent is a threat to him. 
And so we don't want that to happen, and we're not going to let that happen. And so we need students just like you, just like these kids, in each of the schools all over the city to be witnesses who show up for Jesus. And so whether you're in middle school or you're in high school, it doesn't matter. You can step out in faith for Jesus and be unashamed to lead your peers because Acts 1-8, you have that Holy Spirit power. You know, many people think they're not qualified to share the gospel. You are, that's a lie, you are. And so what would Liberty, what would North Kansas City, Smithville, Kearney, West Platte, wherever you call school, the Northland area or Kansas City in general, what would it look like if we had students who were boldly, faithfully, consistently sharing Jesus with their friends? Your school's spiritual climate could potentially be radically changed. And so if you're in here and you're thinking, man, I, I think that that's, that's great. Maybe I feel the Holy Spirit's tugging on my heart to be one of those leaders like the six, to go start something like that at my, at my school. Well, then I have a QR code here. There's also one on the back table there. Um, but I don't know if you knew this or not, but you can take out your phone. If you do that, go, go ahead and do that. If you have a phone, if you're interested here, take out your phone. You can go to your camera, you point it at the thing, and a link pops up. It's crazy. Crazy time to be alive. And that link will take you to a Google form. And on that Google form, you'll input some information and that's gonna allow us to know that, hey, I'm interested in starting a club at my school, whatever middle school or high school you go to. And then we'll reach out to you and give you some next steps for how to get that started. So this is the first step to do that. Again, imagine what would happen if students were burdened to see the students in their school changed by Jesus, one life at a time. It's gonna change our city. It's gonna change your school. And so here's the whole message. In one sentence, if you don't remember anything else, remember this, a powerful witness shows up for Jesus with boldness, with faith, perseverance, and a plan. And then write this down. What's my plan? What's my plan? See, what I know to be true is that your generation, this generation, wants to change the world and make an impact. First priority wants to help give you that plan to make a world-changing impact on your school campus. Because what I know to be true is this as well, is that in 100 years, all the things that we stress about, friends, careers, school, jobs, family, all the things that we stress about, none of that matters in 100 years. In 100 years, all that will matter is what you did with Jesus and for Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's only two things in this world that last forever. That's the Word of God, it's the souls of men and women. Only two things that last forever. All this other stuff will one day rust and decay and fade away. So my challenge to you, Bridge, is to make it count. Be a powerful witness who goes to school this school year and shows up for Jesus. It's gonna require boldness and faith and perseverance and a plan. If you're in here tonight though and you've not put your faith in Jesus, that is your first step to do any of that. And I pray that it would be. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you 
for who you are. Thank you for your son, for the life that he lived, the death that he bore on our behalf. God, thank you for these students. Thank you that they were here to, to hear your words. Lord, I pray that whatever stuck in their ear was, was from you alone and not from me. God, would you bless this youth group, bless this ministry, bless Colin and all the others on staff here and all the volunteers. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son. In your name we pray, amen.